want to welcome you today. So glad you have joined us to uh, learn from God today. We're looking at a new series today, starting a series, and today's title is They Disagree With You, Love Them Anyway. So we're going to go through a few of these, and every one of them is going to be what they will do, and we'll talk about those messages in a moment. Love them anyway. I can't remember a time in my life, uh, and maybe you can, or maybe you can't, where things have been as polarized and as stressful as they are now. The stress is running high. We have experienced a pandemic, and uh, there's a lot of fear. Uh, There's a lot of disagreement over pandemic. There's a question of whether there's too much uh, press and this is overblown or this is really real and there's polarized uh, viewpoints about the pandemic. We've uh, got some kind of disagreements going on even within our own church. Disagreements about whether we should be meeting in person by now or whether we should not be meeting in person by now. Uh, So there's a stirring up of differences and people with different viewpoints, and we've got to figure out how to love past these differences. Uh, We have differences of opinion about masks, whether masks should be worn or not worn, and it seems like a controversy. We have differences of opinion about how racial issues should be uh, dealt with and how what is happening is so problematic and there's, there's emotions that are running high and uh, uh, political landmines that uh, seem like are, are laid out there even with uses of words and what these words mean. Uh, and when we say, say the wrong thing, it seems too political. It's like pushing a button and the, there's an unintentional landmine that goes off and these differences between people uh, politically and over every issue seems like there's just this stress point where we have these differences of opinion. So how do you deal with that stress? How do you deal with people who disagree with you? And how do you deal with the volatility of your emotions that just... Because of the stress, they keep, it keeps rising and rising. And then uh, you have this volatile overflow that comes out in the middle of relationships. Now, um, recently I was privy to some of these differences of opinion and the kind of eruption of emotion and uh, kind of a dividing of the ways that take place. And I took great comfort in a very strange passage that I wasn't looking for. I'm in the middle of a reading program uh, with some memorization that goes with it. It's, you can find it on uh, YouVersion app if you use that, a free Bible app. And this plan is called F260. It stands for a 260-day plan looking at foundational passages of Scripture. And every uh, five days, they add two passages of Scripture to memorize. And so I've been working on this plan for a while now. And I came across a verse for uh, right at the time when this disruption took place that was strangely comforting. And I'll read it to you, and you'll think, yes, that is odd. I don't see how that's comforting, but I'd like to kind of talk that through with you. The passage was 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 7 through 11, but I'm going to read just 7 through 9. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing 
All-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. I want to kind of talk that passage through. It's a strange passage to be encouraged by, I know, but I relate to it. So if you allow me to be a little bit vulnerable with you, I have been feeling these things, and maybe you have too. I've felt hard-pressed on every side. And interestingly enough, I've felt hard-pressed from the outside as well as hard-pressed from the inside. I mean from the outside of a church setting as well as inside of a church setting. Um, From the outside, there's the pressure to do the right thing so that we don't um, uh, flood the hospital with an epidemic and we in our size church have the capacity to have a, a... you know, pass the virus along in rapid fashion. And the whole point of uh, backing up from in-person services and moving to online services is to flatten that curve to help our local community. And, um, and yet from the inside, I, I get the impression that uh, there's even this misunderstanding that we, we should be in person by now and we're not in person because we are fearful and it's, there, people even start to make it a test of faith. If you really had faith, you'd believe that God protect, protect us and we should just meet together. And um, rest assured, our leadership team that's making these decisions aren't making these decisions out of fear. Um, we really are making these decisions out of faith, seeking God, trying to do the right thing. Uh, it's, it's a difficult place to be. So if we opened up, we'd be pressed from the outside. I happen to know uh, from talking to local pastors who have opened up their churches that they don't feel the pressures from the inside as much as from the outside. They're getting phone calls from the community asking them why they're open. They shouldn't be open now. And that kind of pressure and persecution. Um, So the next phrase there is perplexed, but not in despair. Boy, it's been a perplexing issue. How do we lead through this time? We've never been through a pandemic. How do you lead a church through a time where you're not meeting in in person, but you are meeting online? And how do you determine at what point that you meet back in person? It's, It's perplexing, but we're not in despair. Is it really clear to us? No, it's not really clear to us. It's It's troubling and puzzling and perplexing and hard to figure out. And we're leaning on God and we're leaning on the counsel of wise people uh, to uh, make these decisions as it relates to our local situation and our hospital and uh, doing the best we know how to do. So it's it's perplexing. Uh, If we opened too soon, people will be mad. If we opened too late, people will be mad. Actually, People are mad, (laughs) and it doesn't matter which decision we make. So hard-pressed and perplexed. Then the idea of persecuted. Normally, persecution comes from the outside, like that other pastor who's receiving those phone calls. You should not be open yet. Look at what you're doing to our community, and you should abide by the rules and those kinds of things they're getting from the outside. We haven't encountered that, but... It seems odd that we do feel a little bit of the tensions and persecutions from 
within, which leads to the phrase struck down. People are striking out. They're just stressed. And they don't see it the way we see it. There's disagreement. And so that spillover comes out. So I took strange comfort in this passage because that's exactly what Paul described would be normative for leading the way in expanding the kingdom borders. And then he follows up with some more difficult concepts that we carry within our body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus could be manifest through our body. There's some dying to self that has to take place, some humility that has to take place in the middle of all of these stresses and difficulties and disagreements. And so I was comforted. Now add to that something that Jesus taught. One line came to my mind and I looked it up. It's from Matthew 24, 12. I'll read it from the CSB uh, Christian Standard Bible which uses the word lawlessness Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. You have been looking at news where lawlessness has multiplied across the screen, across our nation, where there's a lawlessness on the rise. The danger is that as the lawlessness is on the rise, the love that we have in our hearts will grow cold. This passage is in the context of Jesus talking about the end times. And it's interesting that we're living in the reality of the possibility that we're in the end times. Now, I believe we've been in the end times ever since Jesus came, but it's going to eventually escalate and get tighter and tighter and more um, obvious as we approach the end. And the lawlessness is causing hearts to grow cold, love to grow cold. And so we have to really be careful that doesn't happen in our hearts as we're followers of Jesus. That as we see lawlessness around us, we begin to be less loving. We're going to be looking at at least three topics uh, on this screen. They disagree with you, love them anyway, that's today. Then we will look at they oppose you, love them anyway. Then we'll look at they hurt you, love them anyway. Uh, At least that many we're going to look at. On the screen is another quote. Jesus tells us to love one another. Jesus tells us to love our neighbors. Jesus also tells us to love our enemies. Sometimes all three categories apply to the same people. (laughs) Love them anyway. I think that's a little humorous. That uh, the one another is generally intended for your brother and sister in, in the Lord, fellow believers, Love them. And as you love them, others that watch that love in a supernatural way express, they they can see that we're followers of Jesus. And as we love our neighbors, they're going to see that we're followers of Jesus. But the real difficult one is loving your enemies when there's disagreement, there's hurtfulness, um, opposition, and we learn to love them anyway. Jesus is setting forward a kingdom principle that he's going to change those enemies, not by eliminating them, but by making sure that we don't ourselves become an enemy. Instead, we win the enemy over by love. So love them anyway. So they disagree with you. Love them anyway. Point number one. 
what does this look like? What does this look like? Now, before we proceed, I hope you've heard me enough to know that I'm picking topics not to pick on you. I'm picking topics that are very relevant to me. And as always, I need to learn these topics as much as you do. And I hope that you will learn, along with me, some very difficult and challenging concepts of what it means to love the way Jesus loves, what it means to follow step for step in his kingdom the way he's asking us to. And so we need to figure out what does this look like. Paul tells us in Romans 5.8 that uh, he gives us an example of what God's love looks like, and I think it looks like God's love. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So on the screen, we have just some concepts to think through. Were we in agreement with God when he demonstrated his own love for us? Did we deserve his love when he demonstrated it to us? No. God demonstrated his love while we were still sinners, while we were in opposition to God, while we were in disagreement with God, while we were in rebellion to God. He sent his son to die for us, to demonstrate his love for us. And so what is loving those who are in disagreement with us look like? It looks like loving in spite of their disagreement or opposition, or the way they're hurting us. He brings us into agreement with him because he initiates a love that demands a response. Now, we can still reject that, and people do. But as we respond to his love and respond to his invitation, things change inside. He's the initiator of love, and he loved us anyway. In 1 John 4.19, we read this, we love because he first loved us. And so who's the initiator? He is. He initiated a love when we were unlovely. He initiated a love when we were in disagreement. He initiated a love when we were in rebellion. He does something to help us come out of this position that's sitting sideways on him or even 180 degrees in the opposite direction of him and we consider that love now he didn't wait to reach out for us until we shaped up he didn't say shape up or ship out he didn't just call us out and uh, tell us all the things we did wrong and say once you fix those then you'll be good enough for my love a lot of People who are into a religious way of looking at things think of it that way, but that's not how it works. That's not how the good news of the gospel works. God initiated a love and built a bridge to us and did that through the cross. And so Jesus becomes a bridge to God, our mediator, and God loves us enough even while we were opposed to him to make all the difference. So that's a little bit of what it looks like. Point number two, if we're going to love them anyway, this is going to require humility. So if people are in a disagreement with you, and people are hurting you, people are opposing you, and there's disagreement all around you, the 
Temptation is to go with the flow, with the measure it's being measured to you, measure it right back. Jesus says that's the normal flow of things, but he's breaking that flow and he's reversing it. He's saying, no, when they strike your one cheek, turn the other also. And he's not just going after a a literalistic uh, approach. Uh, He's saying, do what is best for them, whatever that might be. Love in that way. This requires humility. Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, Follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. And then we have the humility to demonstrate what this looks like. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So when you give yourself up to love another person who's in disagreement with you, this is going to take humility. Just like Jesus stepped down from glory into our world and then stepped down further still to become our servant, even to the point of death, and humbles himself to take even our own punishment, humbles himself that far, we have to give ourselves up to humble ourselves enough to love somebody who's measuring out hate, measuring out hurt, measuring out disagreement. And with that measure, really calling forth our own flesh response, our stone-hearted response, to deliver it right back at them. And you are wrong, and here's how you're wrong, and go go head-to-head in that way. Jesus didn't do that. He gave himself up in our place and becomes a fragrant offering to God in that humility. So it's going to take humility on our part to honor God by stepping down in humility and loving where loving is not deserved. Loving anyway when love is not earned or deserved or merited in that sense. Why? Because Jesus loved us that way. I have a list of daily affirmations that um, I keep trying to program my thinking to get out of the ruts of the wrong thinking that govern my life to create the right thinking that governs my life. And here's one of the affirmation statements that I put together shortly after we did the, the series in November where we were for the Verde Valley. Here's how I put the affirmation statement that helped me. I am for people because God gave himself for me. I am for people, even people who are far from God or people who are against me. And I keep reminding myself because God was for me even when I was against him. God was for me even when I was in sin. God was for my best interest and sent his son to take that on and my sin, absorbing it into himself to release me. He's calling me to imitate his love, give myself up and be for other people and love them. And that's gonna do something for them. Sometimes it's very difficult to even determine what I love you looks like and what I love you means. I mean, we know that scripture tells us that God loves you. And sometimes it's confusing what that might mean. So I just want us to 
ponder a little bit. Let's, let's imagine together at the end of a college year, Charles and Susan, who are liking each other a lot, and they, the stress of the finals is over, they finally get to spend some time together, and their college is close enough to the beach that they go for a, a, a walk along the beach in the evening. It's a beautiful sunset, and the breeze is just a perfect moment. You just kind of feel the romance growing, and Charles looks at Susan and, and just gushes, I love you. Now, we could ask ourselves, what does that mean? And in our day and age, it can mean a lot of things. And it could just be his hormones talking. I mean, the moment is right, they're close together, and his hormones are saying, you just make me feel so many feelings, and I just want to act on these feelings because I love you. And he can be confused about what that feeling-based love is all about. Now, let's just assume, though, that he has a little bit more uh, moral virtue as, as the reason he says what he says. And let's imagine then that he's saying something like this, Susan, when I see you at 50 yards away, your smile just captures me. I'm drawn to you. Your personality is so bubbly and vibrant. Your eyes just sparkle. I, I even love the smell of your hair. I, when I'm with you, I feel like things are right. And when I'm away from you, I just can't wait to be with you. I just want to be with you all the time. I love you. Now, even that, um, there's a lot of emotion there. There's a lot of, what exactly are you saying there? And Susan might be wondering, what does this all mean? She feels affirmed and uh, enjoys it. Now, we know for sure that in that setting, what's not being said is, uh, Susan, um, there's a lot of things about you that uh, trouble me. <laughs> I mean, your personality has a lot of things to work on. And, um, well, I wasn't attracted to you at first. And uh, your nose is kind of large. And actually, your, your knees, man, they make a camel's knees look elegant. Now, I know all these things sound really offensive. But my point is, he's, he's not saying I love you in a way that just makes it feel like I... I I love you anyway. Now, those statements, I want to compare and contrast and ask ourselves, what does God mean when he says, I love you? Is he saying, you make me feel so wonderful. I love your smile. I, I love your personality. You just light up my world. I can't imagine heaven without you. In fact, my whole world will be ruined if you don't say yes to me and join me in heaven, heaven's just not going to be the same. I mean, is that what he's saying when he says, I love you? I mean, that's the, almost uh, the approach some churches make it sound like, that he thinks so highly of us. If he loved us so much to send his, his own son, then we must be really valuable. Actually, I don't think that's the right way to look at it. I think it's a little closer to, 
you know, we got character flaws, and he knows them. We've got issues in our life that are messed up. He's not loving us in spite of that because there's so much good in us. That isn't it so much. I think it's just his nature to love us. It's his nature, his goodness, his, he is love, and he loves us so much, he knows what his love can do. And so I think he looks into our lives and sees a future of beauty based on a love and what that love can do. And I think loving anyway is more along the line of seeing God's love for our model. Because God loves us so much, he's saying, I see you as lovely because my love is going to make you lovely. When you say yes to me, I've sent my son demonstrating that I love you this much. If you respond to that love, I know precisely what's going to happen in your life if you will allow it. Do you love what I've done for you so much that you will say yes to my invitation and you will allow me to love you and allow me to place my love in you in such a way that my heavenly kingdom, my will in heaven begins to be placed into your heart, in you, right here on earth, that heaven begins to fit you to be lovely that the kingdom of heaven and the order of my character, the goodness of my character will begin to permeate who you are. Will you allow me to remove your heart of stone that's been in rebellion? Will you allow me to put my spirit into you? I love you so much, I want to do that for you. If you allow me to put my spirit into you, here's what will happen. I will work into you heaven's love. I will work into you heaven's loveliness. If you will work with me here and cooperate with me, what I work in, you're going to need to work out. I'm not going to do it without you. You have to say yes to me. And you'll have to work out the love that I'm placing in you. I love you that much. When we love people with the love that God has, It's because God's love and loveliness has transformed our heart and we've seen it work in us. And when we see it work in us, we begin to see it work in others who have harmed us the way we've harmed God. This is how the kingdom works. Jesus says, I've died for you. I'm establishing my kingdom in you. I'm inviting you into my kingdom. Will you say yes to me and allow me to be the king of your life? If you will, love and joy, patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, goodness, my character, my love, the order of my kingdom will bring order to your life. Now you can bring order in the middle of this chaos, in the middle of the division, in the middle of the stirred up hate, in the middle of the chaos of our world because it's a kingdom of darkness out there. I need you as an agent of mine to allow my love to work within you to be a part of reversing all of that. Will you say yes to that? Will you say yes to my love? 
So when people disagree with you, will you love them anyway? Would you pray with me? Father, we are challenged by Jesus' love. We admit that we fail so frequently. There's pride that gets in the way when we're hurt. We get self-defensive. There's pride that gets in the way when people disagree and we, we think we're right and they're wrong. And we begin to pull back and let our love grow cold. There's fear that enters in when we see darkness and lawlessness and disruption all across. There's fear that enters in and we protect ourselves, not reaching out, afraid to reach out. And we don't want to be that way. We want to be like you, fearless, not afraid of death, not self-serving, not defensive, but transformed by your love to the degree that we learn how to love people anyway. Love him or her or them anyway. The way you love us. We invite you, Jesus, to work in the victory of your cross. And we want to learn the disciplines to work out those principles in our thought processes that your commands become commands we obey, that your truths become truths that we trust. Help us to love anyway. It's in Jesus' name we pray.